0: Well, welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program today. We are in James' letter uh, to Hebrew Christians. We'll be in chapter 5 today. And I've entitled this chapter, The Practical uh, Side of Faith and Patience, because basically that's what this chapter is about. This is a wonderful chapter, covers uh, many different subjects, Uh, James starts out and he gives caution to those that are rich in this world that uh, that they don't despise the poor, but they use their wealth to do good and not to do evil. And then he also he addresses the poor that are being oppressed by the rich and how that they're to have faith and patience waiting for the coming Of the Lord. And then uh, James goes into the area of prayer, and what a mighty, mighty, mighty section this is concerning the spirit of prayer, uh, the prayer of faith and of expectation, turning things that are upside down right side up. That's what prayer does. That's why prayer is such a vital tool. Uh, for the believer today. Amen. But before we pray, before we begin, let's hear from the psalmist. Notice what uh, David says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. We serve a God of glory. Amen. Praise God. And then the psalmist again says, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory, and that will take place. The whole earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. And also here is a, a prayer for those that are brokenhearted. Notice he, notice the psalmist says this, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. You know, we can be, uh, I heard one preacher describe, we can be, at underneath the bottom of the barrel, uh, you know you can't get any lower than that. But yet we should never lose our fervency. We should never lose our contriteness of spirit, that humility that uh, places total dependence upon the Lord. Amen. If we try to fight this world with carnal, carnal weapons, we're going to lose. Because Paul said this, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. There are things in this world arrayed against the believer. Amen. Praise God. But we know how through faith and patience we can inherit the promise we can overcome because God has already promised that he will lift our head up above our enemies, and he will plant our feet upon solid ground. Amen. Hallelujah. And David said this, Even though a host is encamped around me, I will not fear. In this, I will be confident. Amen. So, as we approach the the daily uh, affairs of life, whether they be good, bad, or ugly, we should always have this in mind. It's the Lord. Amen. Amen. who is our deliverer, and he is our strength. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, we enter into this time of study as we close out this letter of James, and we ask you now, come alongside of us, help us, both in the teaching of the Word. And in the hearing of the word that we put in practice diligently that, Lord, uh, which you have given us uh, to direct us in the affairs of life and oh hallelujah. And we give you praise and honor and glory. We thank you, Lord, for the witness of the Holy Ghost today. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll begin in verse one. This is a warning to the wealthy. Notice James writes and says this. He says, go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for the miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver is conquered and the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Now, let me make a point here that money in itself is not evil and wealth in itself is not evil. Uh, God says in, uh, in many places in scripture that He, uh, He enjoys the prosperity of His servants. You know, that He wants us to be prosperous in soul and, and in mind and in body and He wants us to be a, a prosperous. He, he, matter of fact, He, He told to the s- children of Israel, He said, I will bless the work of your hands. I will command the blessing upon your storehouses. I'll make you the head and not the tail. I'll make you above only and not beneath. Praise God. I'll remove the curse from you. He told the Israelites, I'll bless your bread and water and I'll take sickness away from the midst of you. And the number of your days I will uh, fulfill. So God wants his people to be blessed. Amen. And uh, he's a God who blesses his children. The problem is, is when we affix our love upon money. And and Paul said this. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is not the root of all evil. Remember in the parable that Jesus uh, spoke. Actually, it wasn't a parable. It was a real life instance where a rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus began with the commandments that have to do with loving our neighbor. And he began from the Sixth Commandment all the way down. And he, he spoke to him about uh, about loving your neighbor, honoring your father and mother. You know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. And this rich young ruler said, all these I've kept from my youth up. And notice the scripture says in Mark, and, and Jesus loved this man. There was compassion that went out to this man because he saw this man's need that this rich man didn't know, wasn't aware of. And he said to the rich young ruler, he says, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. Now, do you understand? And I hope we do understand the place that Jesus offered this rich young ruler to be one of his apostles, to be one of his followers. And what do you think would have happened if this man had humbled himself, distributed all of his wealth, all that that he gained from his lineage and from his own hands and given it away to the poor and, and chose to follow Jesus. What a place that he would have had in heaven. But he went away sorrowful because he had much wealth. He was not willing to give up. Why? He was not willing to give up his wealth. Why? Because he loved it. He loved his wealth more than he loved the idea of serving the Messiah. And that's our problem today. We have many rich in this world today that are perfectly willing to hold on to their money. They'll spend it on their own deceitful ways and their own plans and purposes, but they'll hoard their money. I'm I'm reminded of an instance where uh, some wealthy people had agreed to pay tuition for a certain student And something had happened in that situation. And instead of following through with their commitment, they withdrew the money and they didn't tell the people. They didn't tell the student. And so come to find out this student was several thousand dollars in arrears and thought all the time that, you know, that his bill was being paid. And so when he went to the person and asked him about it, the person just said, no, I just decided I wasn't going to do that anymore and didn't bother to tell the person. See, And the rich think that they have power over people to do that. And so their oath or their commitment is only as as good as what they want it to be. But see, the rich are going to have to stand before God one day and they're going to have to give an account. Remember the parable that Jesus told about the three servants that were given talents And they were to take those talents and they were produce an increase. And there was one in particular that instead of uh, using his talent for the good of the master and for the good of the household, he buried it. And the husbandman, the one that came and and, uh, and held these three servants into account, rebuked that one person. So you and I have a responsibility and there's something that you and I have to realize that we Being citizens of the United States of America compared to the world now, we are the rich man. Remember the rich man and Lazarus, the story that Jesus told. We are that rich man. And the developing countries, they're Lazarus. And I thank God that we have uh, leaders in this country. We have organizations that reach out to third world countries to try to alleviate the pain and the suffering of uh, these underdeveloped worlds. And I thank God for that. I think we do more uh, out of this nation to help uh, the poor in this world than any other nation on the face of the earth. And I thank God for that. And I think that's one of the reasons why God has blessed this nation. And so if you and I really want to be blessed, instead of hoarding our wealth and saving it up for just us four and no more, that we take a certain amount of that and we we distribute that, and we're not talking about wealth distribution like the socialists talk about. No, we're talking about taking some of our money, Amen, and using it uh, to help the poor and those that are suffering. And God will bless that, Amen. And so, what James is writing here, and let's let's begin down in verse uh, verse uh, four. And, and let me say it again: that the problem with riches is not the money but it's in the covetousness, it's in the greed, and it's in the avarice of the heart of those that desire silver and gold instead of seeking for the righteousness of God. God wants us to be prosperous in this life, but he doesn't want us to be prosperous or desire for wealth above the righteousness of God. That's what we're to seek for. Remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Amen. Hallelujah. And when we do that, when we honor wisdom, when we honor the word of God and when we honor uh, the things of God, that God says, then what I'll do is I'll fill your treasuries. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. He'll make sure that we always have enough. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. pressed down, shaken together and running over Shall men give into your bosom for with what you measure, it shall be measured to you again. So uh, we are uh, those that are wealthy in this life because we have honored God and God has blessed this nation. Amen. And we need to make sure that we don't covet uh, wealth. but We appreciate it. We praise God for it. But we use a measure of it to help those that are not as fortunate as we are. And notice in verse five, uh, James says, as you have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton, you have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. So James is saying here uh, that this is what you've lived for. You've lived for pleasure. You've lived for wealth. You've lived for all the accoutrements that come with having money. And it's never been enough. Uh, You just want more of it. Amen. A millionaire is always striving to be a multimillionaire. A a multimillionaire is always striving to be a billionaire. There's never enough to satiate the diet of those that hunger and thirst after riches. And James is saying here, you have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. In other words, James is saying you're fattening yourself up for the sacrifice for that day when you yourself are going to be offered up. And so that's a very, very A horrible place to be in. Um, You know, uh, verse six says this. You have condemned and killed the just and he doth not resist you. James here is specifically speaking of how the rich oppress the poor. And uh, notice this. I I found this in Ecclesiasticus, an apocryphal book, uh, chapter 34, verses 21, and 22. Notice this. Uh, I got this from the Wycliffe commentary. This is a quote. The bread of the needy is the life of the poor. Whoever deprives them of it is a man of blood. To take away a neighbor's living is to murder him. To deprive an employee of his wages is to shed blood. And I knew a man many, many years ago. He went to work as a private contractor for uh, an individual and did a lot of work in that person's house. I mean, did a lot of work renovating the kitchen, doing a lot of work. And so when it came time and the project was done and he went to the owner and asked for his pay, the owner wouldn't pay him. All that work and labor he did out of his own pocket, much of it. All that time that he gave, he gave his very best to that homeowner. But in the end, the homeowner cheated him out of the money that was deserving. And I I knew this man. He lived from paycheck to paycheck. And that's a horrible thing. And that man, because he never repented and he never paid. Now, what did the the worker do? He forgave the debt. He went to the Lord, forgave the debt, forgave him, forgave the debt. But now that man, when he stands before God, he's going to have to give an account for that. Now, God doesn't forget these things. Amen. And God will probably spare that man because of that righteous man's prayer. But it's a horrible thing what the rich do on behalf of the poor. And uh, listen, I've I've been a witness to how the poor are treated in courts, so-called courts of justice. When people that are well known in a community are given special treatment by the courts and by the judges, but when it comes to the poor, they don't want to hear what they have to say. They, they give absolutely no respect to their defense. And they're locked away in jail and they're forgotten about. Well, judges are going to have to stand before God and give an account for that. So God takes special attention. He pays special attention to how we who are wealthy in this life I don't consider myself wealthy, but you and I are as average American citizens in comparison to third world countries whose average wage is maybe 10 to 20 dollars a year. uh, We are the rich man and they are Lazarus. So we need to make sure that we set aside uh, money out of our wealth uh, to try to bless them as much as we can. Amen. So that's uh, that's James indictment upon the rich that are covetousness and oppress the poor to make themselves wealthy. Notice here, beginning in verse seven, this is what James now teaches those who are being oppressed. Notice he says, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early And the latter rain. Notice that those who are being oppressed. They are not to lash out. They are not to fight fire with fire. They are not to take eye for eye or tooth for tooth. What are believers to do when they're being oppressed by the world? We are look up. Patience means endurance through faith and Patience. We inherit the promises. Amen. Notice James says here, be patient, therefore. So what are we to do? We Who are the righteous poor? What are we to do? Well, we are to wait patiently and we are to pray. We'll get to that in the end of this chapter. We are to pray for deliverer to come and he will come. Amen. Now, we may have to endure for a while, but notice deliverance will always come to the child of God. If we keep our heart right. Amen. And if we maintain our righteous cause before him. Verse 8 says, be ye also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. In other words, just keep ourselves stable. Amen. Remain that stability. He is the stability of our times. Just maintain that stability, that steadfast confidence, that patient endurance in the things of God. Keep looking up because God will come. Amen. Now, this is speaking probably of the second coming of the Lord. But the Lord will come to us in his deliverance. Amen. He will move on our behalf as long as we don't faint. And then verse nine, nine, uh, James says this. He says, grudge not or stop groaning and complaining against one another. Lest you be condemned. You know, we may have been wronged, but in the way we react to that wrong, we also condemn ourselves. We become just as guilty. Remember Job, when Job's wife says curse God and die and Job rebuked her. Job maintained his righteous cause, even though there were some things in Job that was not right. But we have to consider the overall picture. Job maintained his righteous cause. He did not charge God foolishly. And of course, in the end, he was delivered. And the Lord made sure that he received twice. What was stolen from him by the devil. Amen. Notice this. Don't, don't grudge. Don't groan. Don't complain. Don't criticize. Grudge not against one another, brother, unless you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. He is the judge and he will always do what's right. So that should temper us, temper our emotions, should temper our feelings. Amen. When it comes to uh, those that oppress us, those that do wrong, Uh, towards us. Let's just lift them up in prayer. Amen. Let's not direct our attack upon them, but let's make our requests known to the Lord. Amen. Let's continually, you know, uh, walk in forgiveness towards that person. Uh, Let's not desire to do him harm. Harm will come to him if he doesn't repent. We just put all of that in the hands of the Lord God and he'll take care of us And he'll also take care of them. Amen. So uh, judgment is out of our hands. All judgment belongs to the Lord Jesus. And then in verses 10 and 11, Job gives some uh, examples here. Notice he says, "'Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, hardship, testings, trials, and of patience and of endurance.'" Behold, we count them happy which endure. There is a joy and there is a happiness that can come to us even in the midst of tests and trials with people oppressing us. I remember years ago reading about uh, two Christians uh, in uh, in China that were being oppressed by the communists there. There was an old Christian who was mentoring a young Christian. Well, The soldiers showed up in their village, uh, took these two Christians, and uh, they were going to execute them. They were trying to force them to renounce Christ. Well, the older Christian wouldn't do that. So the soldiers decided to use him as an example to turn the younger Christian and the younger Christian who was, you know, he was he was in fear. He was in trembling and he was thinking seriously about uh, uh, renouncing Christ. As his Lord to save him from torment and torture, and as the uh, the Chinese soldiers, as they, uh, one of the soldiers, I guess it was one of the leaders, the captain, lieutenant, whatever, had his boot on the older Christian's neck. The older Christian turned his neck slightly and looked at the younger Christian. And smiled, and you could see the joy of God. That young believer saw the joy of God on that older Christian's face. And that joy just before that older Christian was executed, that joy gave that younger Christian, that presence of God that was on that man, that older Christian, gave that younger believer the strength to endure and not to renounce Christ. And he lived to tell about it. See, so. Uh, We are not to condemn. We are not to criticize. We are not to lash out. And I know it's difficult to do, especially when our hurt feelings and our emotions want to get the better of us. Remember this. And we're going to find this out when we get over into prayer. We are to pray. Amen. And when the judge who is standing at the door sees us, he's going to honor us for that faith. Amen. Verse 11. Notice it says, behold, we count them happy, which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. God will have mercy upon us and also he will have mercy upon, their persecu- upon our persecutors if they repent. And then verse 12 says this. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Now, James, I think, is addressing uh, those who were swearing falsely, amen, to try to gain favor. And we are not to do that. Jesus said this. He said, again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say unto you, make no oath at all, either by heaven For it is the throne of God or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes or no, no. And anything beyond these is of evil. Have you had any heard anybody say to you, swear to God, that's the truth. And you come out and you come and find out it was not the truth at all. Who are we to swear by God? God alone is the one who can swear, and he only swears by himself. You and I, our answer should be yes or no, and that's it. Nothing else. Amen. Hallelujah. People will more readily believe us if we just confidently say, yes, that's true, or no, that's not true. In the end, amen, our righteousness will prevail. All right now in verses 13 through 18 James now he addresses this issue of prayer notice he says is any among you afflicted let him pray is any merry let him sing psalms this word pray is prosqueo me and what it means is that the word pros is a preposition uh, talking about moving toward and a use uh, uh let me see if I can get the youko is The Greek word that just means to pray to God. So we are when we're afflicted, we are to move and draw near to God in prayer for God to deliver us. Amen. Hallelujah. So those who are afflicted, what should they do? Pray for deliverance. Amen. And then verse 14, James says this is any sick among you. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I'm telling you, the church is to be a healing church and people should come uh, saints and sinners alike from all over to have hands laid on them by the presbytery, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Notice what it says. This is exactly what verse 15 says. And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up, shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Notice that James is so supernaturally natural when it comes to healing of sickness and when it comes to forgiveness of sins. Amen. God will heal us. But notice what he says now in verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. So there is conditions upon our healing, confessing our faults, praying for one another. Getting things right in our heart. And when things are right in our heart, then we're going to be healed. Amen. You know, to give you an example, I was called to a bedside of a man that was suffering terminal illness. And I was asked to pray for him for deliverance. But when I laid my hands on that man and I began to pray, you know what the Lord said to me? He said, this man will have to do a lot of changing before he'll be healed. But he didn't change. How do I know that? Well, consequently, he died soon afterwards. You see, but this man was a believer and he got his healing. Amen. His spirit and soul went to heaven and he didn't have that infirmity. And one day he's going to return. Praise God. I don't know what kind of reward he's receiving, but he will return. He will be saved yet. So as by fire. And then James says this in the last part of this verse, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The earnest, heartfelt, continual prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available dynamic in its working. In other words, when we set our heart and make it right and get it right, when we pray, heaven moves, earth shakes. Praise God. Amen. The devil's run. I tell you, there is power in prayer of a righteous man, the one whose heart is fixed on heaven. So we see here that healing is available to all of God's children, but it's conditioned upon the condition of the heart. Now, notice here in verse 17 and 18, Elijah or Elias, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. He prayed earnestly, literally, literally. this means in his prayer, he prayed. That's earnest prayer. Verse 18, and he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. We can read that in First Kings chapter 17 and 18. God brought a super, a oppressive situation to a supernatural ending. Praise God. And we'll find out that when uh, in verse 18, where it says, and he prayed again, he prayed seven times. In other words, he prayed through until the rain came. Praise the Lord. Amen. What do you think will happen if we pray that way for revival? Revival will come. Amen. Now, this last section is uh, very compassionate. It's compassion upon those who have erred from the truth. Notice in closing, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converts the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. That can be eternal death if he's apostatized, or it can be physical death if he's in sin, the person's in sin and refuses to repent. Notice what Paul wrote to the Galatians. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Amen. Hiding a multitude of sins, covering them up so that they cannot and will not be seen. Isn't it wonderful that we can pray that prayer, restore a man so that when he stands before God, those sins that he was guilty of, those sins that have been washed away and covered, in the blood of Jesus will never once be mentioned. Oh, I tell you, it's a wonderful thing when we stand before God and all of our sins have been forgiven and we stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I tell you, this is such a fitting conclusion to this letter, especially in light of the condition of the church today. I tell you, James is a letter that we are not too familiar with But it's a letter that we need to read and we need to study. It'll help us in this day and in this hour. Father, we thank you for the blessing upon your word. Now strike our hearts, Father God, with the truth therein. Amen. Cause us to rise up and to call you blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.
1: Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen.